Welcome to the Alternative Design Podcast. We provide an opportunity for creatives to rethink space and how it's designed by inviting unlikely perspectives to the conversation. Whether we're looking at living probiotics for buildings or exploring the first city to be constructed on Mars, we believe there's innovation to be found in the margins. I'm your host, Kaylin Reed, design futurist at Kimball International. Join us as we dive deeper than the mainstream conversations and find alternative ways to design for a better human experience. What do you get when a chef, an interior designer, a neuroscientist, and a wearable tech researcher walk into a showroom? An incredible conversation. We have a pretty alternative idea that the senses can teach us a thing or two about emotional well-being and how to create spaces that support it. Think of this as our part two to episode 12, where we debunked color and found out that it's far more personal than we realized. But now, let's look at the other senses, you know, taste, touch, smell, and sound, and see how the combination of the five can do a whole lot more than make a memorable experience. We believe they could be the answer to one of the most desired outcomes in the workplace today, belonging. This is episode 15, Ignite Your Senses. When you stepped inside the Kimball International Atlanta hub, you were greeted with a rose kiss, a shot of lychee and vodka taken from a rose stem. You were then guided into a color bathroom as a transitionary reset before experiencing culinary surprises like edible business cards, ice cream made out of eggs, cookie canvases being brushed with edible paint, and fruit dipped in liquid nitrogen that resulted in dragon's breath when you ate it. The drinks were just as thoughtfully crafted, with a non-alcoholic dirty martini with a vanishing olive that exploded in your mouth, a wine tasting where your grape varietal knowledge was put to the test, and a gin fizz drink that was frozen on the bottom but had hot foam on the top. Every detail of the night was a celebration of the senses. But why am I sharing this? Why make a podcast episode out of a cool event we did? Because we think there's a lot more behind the senses than you might expect. I don't see the senses as decoration. I don't see the senses as elements. I see it as every aspect of reality. So I hope that tonight has begun to ignite your curiosity, has begun to open your brain to new experiences, and really the realization that what we think is may not always be the case. Welcome to the human senses. You may recognize this voice as Alternative Design Podcast alumni, sensory designer, and neuroscientist Ari Peralta. We spoke to him in episode 12, Vessels of Light, on color and the metaverse. But we asked Ari to return, not just to our show, but to our design community, to help us rethink this intersection of the senses, emotions, and the built environment, and teach us a little bit of neuroscience too. So it all begins with a signal, literally. One of those 11 million signals is picked up 
of one of our sensory receptors. These signals aren't what you think they are. Because mostly when we talk about the senses, we're talking about five organ-based senses. And that's thanks to somebody named Aristotle, right, from Greece, who said, hey, we have these organs. They have these functions. They allow us to translate information from this universe that we exist in. But is it just that? I want to show you a new way to look at the senses. We are wired with these receptors all over our body. Each one of these receptors have different functions. And they're all over our body, right? They're in our fingers, they're in our face, they're literally everywhere. We actually listen through our body. Same with taste and same with smell. So that's what we're looking at is what is underneath the hood? And how can we use these tools and the senses to really create that sense of belonging? Ari told us in his opening keynote before joining us on the panel that our emotions are a construct of sensory information. Let's say you're holding an apple. You look at the apple and you see that it's red. You can touch the apple and find the texture to be smooth, maybe even glossy. And you can taste the slightly sweet, slightly tart flavor after getting that perfect crunchy bite. All of that sensory information gets collected in your brain and provides value and understanding of why is this apple important? And more than just being important for satisfying our hunger, that apple could conjure up an emotional response. And here's why. When we talk about evoking emotions, we're actually evoking chemical responses. And these are byproducts of the sensory environment, but also a byproduct of your previous experiences. So emotions really help create and enrich, also helps us recall memories. Ultimately, we're talking about competing with the most crucial foundation memories in our existence, those of relationships, those of breakfast, or those of the hospital visit we had last week. Ultimately, as designers, as furniture makers, as placemakers, what we are are wellness crusaders because we're really helping people navigate through this interesting world, creating anchors and moments for them to say, you know what, this is worth remembering. This is worth creating. A recent trends report done by Deloitte revealed the belonging is the top human capital issue that organizations face today. 93% of responders agreed that a sense of belonging drives organizational performance. Belonging is an emotional outcome. There was a time when emotions in the workplace were seen as a liability rather than something to embrace. It's too woo-woo, too distracting, or too personal to be appropriate for the office. But that idea is completely shifting. And we think that actually embracing our emotions in the built environment, the good ones and the bad, could be an incredibly healing thing in a post-COVID world. And we think we can do that via the senses. So we wanted to bring together a group of people from all different backgrounds to discuss this idea with us during a panel discussion we held during our Ignite Your Senses event. Let me introduce you to the additional panelists who joined us. So you have around 80,000 meals in a lifetime and you never get bored, right? This is Chef Freddie Money, culinary director of Atlas and the Garden Room in Atlanta, and the one responsible for the gastronomic delights that evening. You may have a bad meal, but you never get bored. So for me as a chef, obviously I chase, uh, I chase food and I chase flavors, and for me, texture, touch, smell, sound, all of these things are what I strive to create when 
making food for everybody, right? You know, you tried a, a beetroot jelly with an orange jelly, but it was a yellow beetroot and it was a blood orange. So your brain is telling you one thing when you eat that. So as a chef, we, we, we chase those textures, we chase those techniques. We have the ability to manipulate and play with so many different styles of cuisine. And when you, have you ever taken a bite of something or have you ever had a smell that takes you right back to a moment in time? That for me is another thing that as a chef we strive to create and give our guests during the experience. Chef Money is a master at using the senses to surprise and delight his guests in the dining room. His hospitality-driven perspective helps designers appreciate the entertainment value the senses can hold. So I have a very weird kind of background. <laughs> this is Clint Ziegler, program manager at the Wearable Computing Center and senior research scientist at the Institute for People and Technology at Georgia Tech. And before you think he's all science, he and his husband's fabulously designed home was recently featured in HGTV. I went to school for fashion design and product design and then, and then went to Georgia Tech and got a PhD in human-centered computing. So I work on where the person or the human interacts with the technology, so their experience of that. And I'm not just talking about UX, which I think is a very common term that's used a lot, but their actual experience of how do they interact with that? Do they have fear and anxiety? Or do they think that the technology is smarter than them and those things? And senses really play a part in that. I'm more often than not the designer on a team of technologists saying, okay, but, but what is that gonna be like to use? Okay, so you can tell this or you can figure that out. Does it matter if the person doesn't wanna touch it or use it or wear it or experience it, right? So that's kind of my role that I play. I think for me, my parents kind of set it up perfectly. And rounding out our panel that night was Tara Headley, senior designer at IA Interior Architects and a professor at Savannah College of Art and Design and current IIDA Georgia chapter president. My mom was an art teacher for a number of years and my father is a chef. So growing up with that dynamic, I got kind of a, the best of both worlds with learning how things come together visually with the artistic side and then chemically and all the other senses combined, as he mentioned, with being in the kitchen with my dad from the time I was three. So that to me led me into that design realm. It was either gonna be cooking or it was gonna be something artistic, but having played around with finger paints from the time I was three, building stuff, creating things, I think that led me directly into design and I just had to focus on a niche and that ended up being interior architecture, which is what I do now at IA Interior Architects. But I think that really helps you see the world differently when you get to grow up experiencing those things for such a long period of time. So let's start with what does belonging mean? With food, it's community, it's family, it's sharing. It's all of those things that are created around a dinner table. Mm -hmm. Belonging has a center yeah. and it's wholesome. So building off that, I'll tell you about a project that I'm working on. It's with the AI Caring Institute, which is at Georgia Tech and a number of other institutions. And we're... The project I'm working on is specifically looking at how do we teach and use AI in the kitchen, right? So the first thing that an engineer will say is like, well, oh, we need to monitor nutrition intake or we need to make sure that people are eating healthy because those are the wellness 
aspects that they think of. Uh, we're working specifically with people with mild cognitive impairments, so moving into dementia. So what I think of as belonging is in this project, I'm pushing forward with the, this idea that as this system is in the kitchen, it can start to collect family recipes and flavors that, yeah, and flavors that you might use to cook, right? Because if you ask an engineer to set up the system, you're gonna be eating bland chicken breasts, you know, <laughs> with broccoli with no seasoning on it, and they're gonna be like, but look how healthy they're eating. But for someone with mild cognitive impairment, being able to hold on to memories that come through smells and textures from their family's recipes, that could, that could not only improve their quality of life, but also help them hold on to cognitive abilities longer. And I think building off of that too, part of that for me, the sense of belonging is deeply tied to culture. So I grew up in Barbados in the Caribbean. And when I think of a sense of belonging, it's being accepted for who I am as an individual. A lot of that is my cultural, ethnic background, who I am as a person. So if I feel like I belong, that means that generally I am accepted in that environment. But it's a lot of other senses too. So a lot of people that know me know that I wear bright colors and patterns and stuff all the time. But if I really deep dig deep down and think about it, it's because it gives me a sense of comfort because it ties back to my cultural heritage, growing up in the Caribbean, things are bright and colorful all the time. So it's almost as if I'm wearing my sense of belonging, if that makes any sense. So that is how you tie things together. And I think it translates into interior design in a similar way too. And it's so personal. I think that yeah. you heard like three different versions yeah. or four different versions of what belonging means, right? So the systems that we're creating and the, and the furniture that we're making, you know, it used to be that like, oh, you can pick one of these three colors. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, well, I want, to, I want my own color changing sofa, you know? <laughs> like yes. when, I'm, when I'm playing like Animal Crossing, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm not ready to just accept like the four colors that they have. I want to make my own yes. pattern. Yes. Summer know? 23. Yeah. I, you know, adding to this conversation on belonging as a person, I truly believe that there are different types of belonging, right? And there's belonging in the sense of family, belonging in the sense of a social setting. Uh, but ultimately, my personal definition for it is something greater than yourself. But guess what? The whole premise behind it is it's something greater than you. So I think there's something there in seeing the value beyond face value, actually beyond the senses beyond what your brain's telling you, because you have a predictive brain that's always telling you, no, don't do that. This is gonna happen. But guess what? It's not gonna happen that bad, actually. Our brain's pretty good at fooling us. So we have to kind of play with our brain to fool it back. Belonging is personal. It's different for everyone. And yes, we can agree that belonging is the feeling of inclusion or acceptance into a group of people. It means that it's something beyond ourselves, but. How that feeling is felt is totally subjective. So how do we design to promote this feeling for everyone? I think that's a great point. I think personalization is key to belonging. And how do we achieve collective, in a collective environment, individual personalization? Scratch your head with that one. <laughs> now, part of what's interesting is the development of certain augmented technologies that right now you know, is being pitched to us as the ultimate alternate metaverse or universe that you can 
live and do. But I think I'm somewhere in between where I see some of the benefit from those technologies, especially with smart glasses, and us being able to have furniture that changes at least in our perception. Because ultimately that's why this event was created, to show you that just by switching a color, your brain is perceiving another flavor. So how else can we leverage that kind of sensory information to make you feel better? And going back to that list of safety, comfort, control, control is personalization. So if there is an aspect, again, that you can be involved in the co-creation of your own definition of belonging, it's gonna be much more successful than our interpretation or assumption of your belonging. Yeah, so I have so many things to say about what you just said. One is I do a lot of research in, uh, with people at Georgia Tech and augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality, like anything reality. Um, reality, reality, which is what the Kimball works on. <laughs> the Kimball reality. Yeah. We're working on a project right now that we're calling cognitive augmented reality, which basically there's a couple of situations where we're working, one is with nurses, so in the healthcare environment, understanding what is their cognitive load, like what do they have to deal with, how many beeps do they have to listen to, and some nurses have to listen for one kind of beep, and another nurse has to listen for a different kind of notification from a different system. They're getting visual information and, and auditory information. So as we move into this age where people might be wearing smart glasses and smart headsets and smart earbuds, um, how do we filter those things so we not only enhance sensory inputs, but also diminish sensory inputs so that they can pay attention and focus on the things that they actually need to focus on? A good reminder that designing for the sense as well might require the exclusion of certain sensory inputs. While we know that the more you can cater to taste, touch, sight, sound, and smell, the more memorable the experience, we don't want those sensory inputs to lead to overstimulation. This is of particular importance for those who are neurodivergent. There's an entire conversation around accessibility and multisensory design. And this is where customization of an environment, or at least certain parts of it, become necessary. The great news is that Technology is coming in hot with some interesting solutions. Everything can change now, right? Our, my house, we decided to, we just moved into a new house, we decided to paint everything white so that we could change the color via light, right? So all our, our lights are like light changing colors. But what I want is not always the same as what my husband wants. And I might not even know what I want, right? So I might think, oh, I'm gonna turn on the blue lights because that makes me feel calm but it actually doesn't, and I, I don't know that. Yeah. We could use wearable technology with biosensors, right? Galvanic skin response, heart rate monitors, different types of biosensors to collect information about you while you're walking through spaces, find out also what the lights are in that space during that time, and then start to record, like what, does, what makes Clint feel calm, right? And then, I can just decide that I want to be calm and it takes all that data and then turns the system into that rather than me deciding, oh, blue makes me feel calm. One of the many experiences we had during the Ignite the Senses event was an exhibition called Inhale, Exhale. We asked guests to take a color test that was offered on an iPad just outside one of our pop and ohm pods. By answering a few questions, 
They were given a color that they needed to be exposed to right in that very moment. Then they stepped into the pop and ohm, where the entire pod was filled with their unique color, and they could sit down in an immersive guided meditation for five minutes. People would step out and report how they felt afterwards, and the resounding answer was calm. Imagine having something like this for nurses and healthcare facilities, or teachers in schools, or even employees in the workplace. How incredible would it be to have that real-time data like what Clint was describing with something as simple as a Fitbit or an Apple Watch? The value you get is a research-informed experience backed by data rather than assumption, because human behavior is tough to predict. I think the, the data is really interesting. I was looking at the little tidbits of information on that wall over there. I hate the color yellow and red. I know I'm like contradicting myself, but I don't like yellow, I don't like red. And I just assumed that yellow was like everyone else's favorite color because it's a happy color and it's joyful. And that little piece of information said that most people surveyed did not like yellow. And I was shocked. So if I was going off of my assumption and trying to create what I would think is a universally happy space, I would have been using a lot of yellow, but that just shows that we have to rely more on the research and the data rather than our perceptions of what other people are gonna think and feel and how it's gonna affect them. Because if it was up to me, every space would be purple because it's my favorite color, but I know some people hate it. So just looking at data, I think will help a lot. And I think that's what we have to get over to the people who are implementing the projects is that you really have to care more about how you cater to the employees and what they want outside of just productivity. Because if you create that comfort, if you create that sense of belonging, they're going to be more relaxed, they're going to be less stressed, and then the productivity will come. So I think some people are putting the cart before the horse where they're trying to get those numbers up. But if you give people more sensory elements in the space that are going to create that environment for them to then become productive, then you're going to get there. I think it's important, one, not to get boxed in data, no offense, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I do believe that there's this balance. I, I don't know many consumers who want to be overwhelmed with science and data and all these different facts and figures, but I do know that most people want to live healthier, better, happier lives. You know, we, we have to make some conscious choices in terms of how much do we want to perfect things and how much do we want to optimize things, which is different. And I think when you are optimal, it's not about not having those feelings. It's okay to feel like you don't belong sometimes because you probably don't belong, which is nothing to do with you. It means you have a better space waiting for you. Kind of like a bad relationship. So, <laughs> but that's the approach we need to take to this. It, it, it's not just black and white in the sense that here's the data, okay, you, you use that data to be better. Part of what we really believe in is in micro-interventions. And I think that's something that you're gonna start seeing a lot more. While data can be a guiding light in making more human-centric decisions, Ari brings up an interesting point, that at the end of the day, we aren't trying to create robots or find a rigid formula for belonging where A plus B equals C. We aren't trying to perfect, we're trying to optimize. That could look like giving people more autonomy, more agency, more choices, to become more emotionally intelligent beings that can handle tough emotions, sit with sadness, cope with change, or resolve a conflict. You know, when many people think about PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, you most likely associate it with veterans who come back from active duty. 
But actually, PTSD symptoms can happen to anyone who's encountered a stressful situation. Everyone can raise their hand now. Some say that employees are experiencing these symptoms upon returning to work now because they feel it's a survival risk. For others, it's a reminder of those they lost during the pandemic. So how can we build resiliency into the workplace to support these emotional challenges? I think it's having that healthy balance again between like, okay, I have these challenges, but what are some micro steps that I can take to overcome these challenges, right? Is a beautifully designed space that speaks to you gonna solve all your problems? No, but is it going to give you the comfort needed to tackle those difficult problems? You better believe it can. So I think it's more of also not trying to paint this panacea through the senses, but really saying, hey, we have an opportunity here to learn more about ourselves and to learn more about our triggers. And if we can really bring that and apply that to every environment that we're in, it's again, not about being perfect, but about understanding what role you play and what role the environment plays on you. Something Ari mentioned in his keynote before the panel discussion was the idea of co-creation and how we're going to see that more and more in the design space. It basically means that the designer of the space isn't the only designer of the experience anymore. I love this idea because from a trauma-informed design perspective, it offers a sense of agency. How might I step into a space and change or control the design at any given moment to support me and know that may not happen in a lobby of a public office building, but could you imagine something like that in a meditation room, like what the Office of Things discussed in episode four? Or maybe it could be in the pop-up shipping container clinics from episode seven. Or perhaps it could be in the metaverse, like Ari discussed in episode 12. There are more and more opportunities to think about alternative ways we could offer sensory experiences that support well-being. We have to think about the senses as like, there are inputs and outputs, right? We may not want to design everything to like make someone super comfortable and be in the sense of flow. We may want that comfort in one part of the experience, but then for the workers and for the workforce, we may, we may want it to be comfortable, but not just about being productive or producing a lot, but also about accuracy and like all of the different reasons we could design for something. There are sensory solutions that could help push someone in that direction, which is also individual, right? My sister's a nurse and one surgeon she works with listens to rock and roll and one surgeon she works with listens to classical music and it's because of the way that our brains work. I can't read something without hearing my twangy Southern voice say each and every word, right? So I can't listen to a music that has words in it if I'm writing a paper. So like all of those things are so personal we're gradually able to sense those. So when I say sense, we're able to figure those out through technology for individuals. But then the thing that we're starting to learn is how to create sensory landscapes or recipes to help towards specific goals. And that's what we need to create and synergize with the products that we create, regardless if it's furniture, the homes, the buildings, whatever it is. We need to understand that it needs to be dynamic. 
It needs to be organic, and it needs to constantly evolve like we do. Co-creation is about a lot more than just agency. It's also rooted deeply in equity, something I asked our panelists to talk about because belonging, of course, is strongly tied to equity and inclusion. But inclusive spaces require more than just data. Not to harp on data, but having input from everyone helps you figure out how to be equitable. Because for a long time, there are certain groups of people who just were not heard. They were not seen. They were not spoken to. And now we're starting to understand that we need to provide spaces for everyone. One of our projects, we're working with a universal design specialist. And he's in a wheelchair, so that led him to be in that special field. But a lot of what he suggested... We had thought about a little bit, but the way he explained it made so much more sense and it caused us to rethink how we design some things. If you just never listened to anyone like that before, you're just going along designing as you would for everyone else. So the data really helps when you pull from everyone, then you can have a more equitable solution because you can see where the holes are that you hadn't seen before. And we, we do that in our restaurant you know, when I was growing up as a chef, we'd make the dish, we'd send it, and we wouldn't consider or think about how the guest is experiencing that dish. Now we debate with serious detail, how does that land on the table? How is that consumed? Is this the right cutlery? Are they on the seat too long? Is that five-hour experience? Do we need to change the chairs for that? You know, we really go into detail about all of that. Is the lighting right? Because it all affects that guest experience on the table. And I think you're so right. We need to further collaborate on all levels, all different departments, to further enhance the guest experience, in my line of work anyway. I think for all of us, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So I think for us, it's about how do we bring the entertainment side of culinary, right? Because that's what you do best. And it's seeing these things come to life with data that backs you up so that you have the evidence to create those experiences, but then with an environment that is created with everybody's input. Ultimately, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel with the senses, because they already exist. Again, we're tapping into how to ensure that the senses work for you, for me, for everyone. And today, as we're moving into this new hybrid environment that's gonna stay, we're gonna have to rethink what it means to be a team, rethink how to belong. There's a quote from Bruce Mao that I've been thinking about more and more lately. He says, we've allowed two of our sensory domains, sight and sound, to dominate our design imagination. In fact, when it comes to the culture of architecture and design, we create and produce almost exclusively for one sense, the visual, end quote. So while our event did in fact have edible candy where you could eat the entire wrapper, the goal was to ignite your design imagination in a new way. There are entirely new sensory recipes in the built environment to be discovered that could lead to dynamic solutions for emotional needs. We're so excited to continue being a part of the test kitchen that explores how to create places to belong. Thanks so much to Clint, Ari, Tara, and Chef Freddy for being our guests on the show and for participating in our panel discussion. To see photos of all the amazing experiences at the Ignite Your Senses event, check out our show notes. This podcast is brought to you by Kimball International. Thanks for listening. <laughs>